this morning. Begin by looking in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. Nehemiah was a captive in, in Persia or Babylon, which and the king of Babylon by this time had been defeated and now it was under the hands of the king of Persia. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And they said to me, concerning Jerusalem, the survivors who are left in the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I wept, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, a great and awesome God, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out from the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will bring them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen a dwelling for my name. This is the call of repentance that God brought about to Israel in captivity in Babylon. They had been there for 70 years because of their rebellion against God. And you see the attitude of Nehemiah king's cupbearer. And many in Israel who are captives, God warned them this would happen to them. And that whole generation, that whole the whole nation was taken away captive to Babylon. Those who weren't killed were taken away captive. It was a great destructive thing that happened. And they were in a faraway land, much like the prodigal son, in a faraway land. But when the prodigal son came to his senses and he heard the call of God to repent. He came, it says he came to himself. And so today we're talking here about repentance. So as he was, he was praying this and fasting and calling on the Lord, in chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Anaxerxes, when wine was before him, 
that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in the king's presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? There is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So as we continue in the story of Nehemiah, the city was rebuilt, the walls of the city were rebuilt. There was a lot of things that happened in that time. And then the captives began coming back to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. So we go to chapter... I believe it's chapter 7. Chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 8. So the captives came back and they're gathered in the city of Jerusalem. <coughs> chapter 8 and verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all, excuse me, and all who could hear with understanding in the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it, read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate, from morning until midday, before the men and the woman and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book of, in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And it says that all these scribes, at the end of verse 7, helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. And they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand it. This is a serious attitude and a call to repentance. They come back to Jerusalem, and they're touched. And they, as soon as they open the word of God, they all stand. And so they stood from, from morning, from the light, 
to the dawn, from the time of dawn until midday, till noon. You imagine that? They all stood and from, from dawn until noon to hear the word of God. As soon as Ezra opened the book of the law, they all stood up. And they worshiped God. They lifted their hands and bowed their heads. They took this seriously. They, they knew that they had done wrong and they had come back to the Lord. And God had done miraculous things to bring them back there. To rebuild the wall. But God had kept his promise. And there they were sitting there with the wall rebuilt. And Jerusalem, they were standing there again after being captive for 70 years. And it was a great rejoicing. But you can see the great they had learned a great respect for the Word of God. Before they were captive, they didn't have that. Before they were taken away into a far country, they didn't have that great respect for the Word of God. But now God brought them back. If you look at Jerusalem before they were taken away captive to Babylon, they disregarded the prophets. They refused to hear the Word of God. When Jeremiah and the other prophets read the book of the law, they rejected it. He said, God hasn't spoken through you. And they did, they did horrible things to the prophets of God. But now, after 70 years of discipline, now they're ready to hear. God disciplined them, and now they're ready to hear. And look at, now when... Before they even, before the Ezra even spoke, as soon as the book was open, now they stand up, and they stand up from the crack of dawn until noon. They had learned through the God's discipline to respect what God said. Seventy years of discipline. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is a holy is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And they, he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. This is a great revival in Israel. And you can see how they were struck with conviction when they heard the words of the law. And may God give that to us too, that kind of conviction. The Holy Spirit was given to bring conviction, to bring encouragement bring revival and restoration, to bring life. 
In verse 18, so day by day from the first day until the last, last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. They were keeping the, the feast of booths and everything. But the seventh day feast and they read the book of law every day for seven days. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel are assembled of fasting and sackcloth and dust on their heads. And those of the Israelites' lineage separated themselves from foreigners. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. And they stood up in place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one quarter of the day. <laughs> this they did this for seven days, standing up for a quarter of the day, from dawn till noon. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. I guess you would say this is what a revival looks like, and a call to repentance and a, a response of the people of God looks like. Just being stricken with great conviction and, and great respect for the Word of God. Yeah, this is the Old Testament, that's sure. But... You see people reacting and responding with the conviction that the Holy Spirit brought upon them. First Corinthians chapter nine. Beginning in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable crown. Therefore I run this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, or beat my body into subjection. And make it my slave, the King James says. So that when I preach to others, I myself should not become disqualified. The life of the Christian is supposed to be one of self-control. It's meant to be it's one of self-control. And he talks here and he makes a comparison between the discipline of the athlete, the track star, you know, the the soccer player, the football player, the baseball player, the hockey player, all these different sports and everything, especially nowadays with sports science and everything. They, I mean, exercising every day and 
every muscle in the body and, and all the the dieting and eating the right things and you know eating the right proteins and so that your muscles grow and doing all these different things to make your lung capacity grow and and so you can have more stamina and, and eating these kind of foods and these kinds of things and and it's amazing. It's really amazing, you know, just in my lifetime, just the discipline and the sports science that has come. I remember when I was a little kid, I remember hearing about the great old baseball star, Babe Ruth. And they said that before the game, he would eat some hot dogs and drink a couple beers before a game. He was a great home run king and everything, you know, and, and uh, one of the most famous baseball players of all times. Um but, you know, <laughs> that's not the way sports is today, of course. There's all this this disciplining of the body. And all this, you know, you got to eat the right foods. You got to do the right exercise. You got to do the right stretches. You got all this stuff. And Paul uses that comparison to how the Christian, and he talked about himself. He talked about how he disciplined his body as a Christian. And makes and brings it into subjection to him so that he can run the race of it being a Christian. He says, you know, I I make my body obey God. I beat he says in the King James it says, I beat my body into subjection and make it my slave. Now, he didn't mean like physically beating his body, as like some did. Some interpreted that in the Middle Ages. But he meant the actual the making his body do what was right through prayer and fasting and not giving it everything it wanted. Not over and not being overindulgent. Jesus talked about his second coming, and he said, Be careful. Lest any in the book of Luke, lest any of you be overtaken in overindulgence. The word surfeiting in the King James means overindulgence. And the cares of this life and the desires of this world. That that day come on you, come over you like a trap, like a snare. Self-control. He says. That those who compete in sports like that, he says, they are self-controlled in all things. They practice self-control in all things. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm not like a guy who's just beating, beating the air. He says, no, I'm not beating the air. He goes, I beat my body into subjection. I practice self-control with my body. I make it do what's right. So that when I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Not be disqualified. What does he mean, not be disqualified? The prize is the crown. Jesus talked about the crown that he will give to those who love him. Apostle Paul talked about that. He says, now I'm going to receive a crown. Another place says, let no man take your crown. 
crown of eternal life. Crown of the children of God. And he goes on in that same thought as we go into the next chapter. And what does he use? The example that's used many times in the New Testament. Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. Listen to how he puts it. Chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware of that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And ate the same spiritual food and the same spiritual drink. For they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things. As they lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written... The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, fornication, as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us test Christ, as some of them also tested and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain or grumble, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. The Apostle Paul is saying that story was written and recorded the way it was as an example to us as Christians in the New Testament. This is not preaching old, this is preaching to Christians in the New Covenant. As a warning, he says, it's written not to be like them. As we backtrack from verse 1, he says, they all passed through the sea were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He uses that as a figure. As we are baptized through passing through the water, there it is. Leaving slavery and bondage to sin, passing through the waters of baptism, and then in this wilderness until the day when we cross over the Jordan to eternal life. In the time of testing. And here we are in this time of testing. And he warns us. He says, don't be like them. He says, they ate the same spiritual food and the same spiritual drink. They ate manna. They drank from the water of the rock was Christ. It's like we eat the bread and the cup. Spiritual food, spiritual drink. He said, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. Many of them never entered into the, the into God's rest, into the promised land. They were rejected in the wilderness. God was not pleased with them and they were scattered in the wilderness. These things became our examples in verse 6. An example to us as Christians, verse 6. To the intent that we as Christians should not lust after evil things as they did. And we're not idolaters as some of them were. The Bible talks about covetousness in the, in the New Testament. 
that covetous idolatry. He says to flee from idolatry, which is covet, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see that comparison in the New Testament. Nor let, in verse 8, let's not commit immorality. We live in an immoral world. We live in a Sodom and Gomorrah world. Because don't follow that way of the world. Do not commit immorality. As some of them did, God struck 23,000 in one day. This is not me saying this stuff. We're reading the Apostle Paul teaching New Testament warning to Christians. Not to the people of the world, but the Christians. Verse 9, Nor let us test Christ, as some of them did, were destroyed by certains, serpents. Verse 10, Nor grumble or complain, as some of them complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Grumbling. Grumbling about our circumstances. Grumbling, complaining about what we have to go through in this life. Complaining against God. Complaining, grumbling. God brought judgment against people who live this way. And he says in verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our Admonition. The word admonition means warning and our correction. It's warning us. Jesus said it. Remember Lot's wife when he was talking about his return. When Lot was being taken away and with his family. He said, don't turn around. She turned around. Her heart was still in Sodom and Gomorrah. And she turned around and was brought judgment was brought against her. Jesus said, remember that. It's a warning to us. And this also is a warning to us. That we should not fall into the habit and the way of life of the Israelites. A hardened heart, a stiff neck, unbelief. Was it that they didn't believe that there was a God in his that there was a God? Oh, that they believed there was a God. But they didn't believe in God for their circumstances, for their problems. And they grumbled against God in their problems. They're angry with God in their problems. And they spoke things that they shouldn't have about God. And they tried to they tried to stone those who were following God, or speaking God was speaking through. The Old Testament is filled with that. And the warning is written here as a warning and a correction to us not to live this way. So if we're living this way, it's time to stop it. It's time to stop living this way. It is a call to repentance. Verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed to this. If you think you're standing... Take heed of these warnings, lest you fall. Verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God 
is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you're able to bear, but with every temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That we might be able to bear our trials and our temptations. We may say, well, I don't see a way of escape. You need to be patient. You need to wait on God and be patient. So God is not going to allow us to go through more than we can bear. And I have had Christians tell me so many times that this is more than I can handle. What God is allowing is too hard for me. When we speak these kind of words, what we're speaking is the level of deception that has gripped our hearts. That's deception. Because we have the reasoning of our heart and our mind, and then we have the Word of God that's saying you're wrong. Not me saying you're wrong. God is saying you're wrong. So, if we say our circumstances are too hard for us to bear, if we say that the temptations are too hard to bear, we're under deception. We are being deceived by the flesh and the devil and the world we live in. You can get angry at me all you want, but this is what the Word of God is saying, not me. There is no temptation that is overtaking you except which is common to man, and with every temptation... God is faithful to provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. If we don't see the way of escape, then we have to wait on God until we do. That God may open our eyes so we see God's will, not our will, but God's way and God's will for our life. So that we don't play games with God, so that we don't walk in deception, so that we don't walk in a lack of self-control. God provides everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. That's the Word of God. So are we hearing it? Are we doing like the days of Nehemiah, where we hear the Word of God, and we're standing up, we're paying it. It says they listen attentively. I don't mean physically standing up, but you know what I mean. We are respecting and taking heed to what God is saying. The Word of God is here. We're reading it and and we listen to it. Are we attentive to it like the children of Israel were? Well, if not, God's hand of discipline will come upon us like the children of Israel until after after a long time of discipline, we're ready to hear God. Because that's what's waiting for us if we don't take more more earnest heed to the things that are spoken in the Word of God. To have that kind of respect. And when God tells us we're wrong, do we humble ourselves? Do we admit it? And the children of Israel, they wept when they heard the Word of God. When Ezra opened the book of law and began to read, they wept because it exposed them. Instead of hardening their heart, and saying, ah, we didn't do all that, that's not right. They humble themselves and say, yes, we went against God's word.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, In verse 17, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify or honor God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are joined to the Lord. When we are converted, when we are born again, we become one with the Lord in spirit. And it says... that we should live accordingly. We have, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is holy. And he says, we don't belong to ourselves. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we should honor God in our bodies and in our hearts, in our spirits, which, which are God's. This belongs to God. Even the things we think in our heart. In our spirit, we should be glorifying honor God because it says we've been joined with God in our spirit. It says in verse 17, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we should be very careful in our hearts to honor God in our hearts and our bodies which belong to him. We've been bought by him. And so... Self-will is not the way of the Christian at all. Say, I know God wants me to do this, but I hear it all the time. There's no buts about it. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to the Lord Jesus. And since He is Lord, and Master over us, he is our Lord. We have to listen to Him and follow Him. How does the Apostle Paul? say that the life of Jesus is revealed in his mortal body in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How does that happen? Because he says, death works in us, that life may be working in you. Through the ministry. Day by day, we are being changed into the glory, into the, into the image of the Lord. But it's up to us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus.
follow after him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Does it mean to just follow, to read his word? Yeah, it's part of it. But it's a lot, it's a lot more of an investment than just reading his word and praying. It says, in 1 John, it says that those who say they know him should walk as he walked. We say, well, how do we do that? And we read it earlier, it's through the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us, empowering us to have that kind of self-control, to be able to discipline our bodies, to make it our slave. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability and the authority to control ourselves so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our human bodies. Death working in us. Death to the, to the human nature. To our natural carnal nature. To the way of the flesh and the world and the devil. Because Jesus said, if you are not willing to, de- to deny yourself, pick up your cross, that's death, and follow after me, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot follow him unless we deny ourselves. And then we can pick up our cross and follow him. A death to self. That's a recognition. And as God reveals these things to us, he brings godly sorrow into our hearts. The Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. You see, we're not doing what's right all the time. But he empowers us. He gives us everything we need to follow Jesus. But if we don't believe it, we're not going to do it. We're not going to be able to do it. We'll be walking around with a lot of other people in Christendom saying, it's too much for me. It's too hard for me. You know, and and just go on and on and, and live in, a, de, in a, de, a deception. Live in a lie. It's a lie. Everything we need for life and godliness, godliness, is found in Christ Jesus. He gives us all the tools. So let's now use them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we read in Philippians. For it is God who is at work in you and me to do and to will of his good pleasure. God's put it in us. Now he's saying live it out. The will of God. God is working in us to do his will. Not our will. To do his will. To change us. To make us what he wants us to be. Not what we want to be. Think a few more thoughts before we close. Go from here. In 1 John chapter 4 it says, As Jesus is, so we are in the world. Can we say that this week? When I was was at work, I was as Jesus was when he was in the world. When I was at home, with my wife and my children, was I was as Jesus is in the world? 
I like Jesus. When I was on the road and somebody cut me off, when somebody gave me a hard time, was I as Jesus is in the world? You see, God, God exposes and reveals to us areas where we're not right. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Not condemnation, conviction. I've got to change. Bring that, puts that conviction in our hearts. We need, need to do, you know, be like Jesus. The life of Jesus is not being manifested in my body sometimes this week. Showing us not to accept and just throw our hands up and say, ah, well, nobody's perfect. God forbid. God forbid we should live that way. To accept the ways that are not the way of Jesus. It's not being overly fanatical. It's why God put the Holy Spirit in us. To be as Jesus is in the world. That is the testimony. That is the witness of the Christian. Jesus said, this is how men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How you live, how we live. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. That doesn't mean just talking the talk. It means walking the walk. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The testimony of the Christian. The Apostle Paul said, it's not just in word." He said, but it's in power. The power of God in the life of the Christian to live as Jesus did. As He is, so we are in the world. Tremendously challenging words. But that's the goal. To live as Jesus lived. That's the road that we're on. The road that Jesus walked. If we reject that, we're rejecting Him. That's what I have today. Um, brothers want to comment on that? Or anything else you want to share? We have some time.